Ryan i fra Kalifornien var ikke så synes. To think and reflect on on key statements about Jesus from those that he encountered, uh, as we read of these accounts in the Gospels. So we mentioned uh, last week that for you and I to understand Easter, we have to understand who Jesus is. Uh, Easter is Jesus. Jesus is Easter. So last week we spent time thinking about these words from John the Baptist: uh, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." Uh, tonight we're going to be looking at Peter and we're going to be thinking about something this relationship that Peter had uh, with Jesus and in particular we're going to take time to think and reflect on what it is that Peter said about Jesus as he spoke to Jesus. Um, so if you have your Bibles, if you can open them to Mark chapter 8 and verses 27 to 30 and I'm reading from the CSB, Christian Standard Bible, so Mark writes these words uh, beginning in verse 27 of chapter 8. So Mark says, Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea, Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he strictly warned them to tell no one about him. Amen. Let's just take a moment to pray as we think about these words. Uh, Father, tonight we, we just want to confess that, that you are God and uh, we are your children and, and we want to, to hear from you through your word. Uh, we pray that you would remove any distractions, you would convict us of sin, that we would consciously choose to repent of the ways in which we fall short and that you would take our hearts and minds and allow them to be receptive to what your word says, that your spirit would take um, these words and use them so that we might grow and become the people you call us to be. So would you bless our time tonight? I pray that you would direct my words as I share and I pray, Lord, that you would equip us for all that you have for us as we go into this week. In Jesus' name, amen. So I used to work as a, a chaplain in a local high school in East Kilbride, which is a town just south of Glasgow. Uh, and one of the things that the school uh, asked us to do was to take RMPS lessons for S1 and S2 classes about the person and the work of Jesus and the Christian faith. And as part of that, I would show a, a video of a, a church down in Brighton. They, would have a, they had a small film crew uh, and they would go about Brighton and basically just ask this question, who is Jesus? And if you know Brighton, in terms of demographic, it's quite a left-leaning multicultural um, city. So these people went about and asked, who do you think Jesus is. Who is Jesus? And it was incredible the variety of, of different responses uh, that people gave to this question. They ranged from Jesus being a complete and utter fiction to an influential historical figure to a spiritual guru to one person who said that Jesus was the first ever celebrity, the first ever famous person. Uh, and I heard that last one and as I heard that and I have heard that on many occasions because we did this class so many times um, I would probably and still would both agree and disagree with that statement because, of course, there were other well-known people before the life and times of Jesus. But in terms of impact, in terms of influence, in terms of popularity, Jesus was the first person to capture people's minds and hearts on a massive scale. And we are all here today because of him, because of who he is and because of what he has done in our lives. 
And tonight, as we sit here today, we have all walked into this room with an opinion about Jesus. Uh, we all carry within our hearts some kind of mental, emotional, spiritual understanding about who he was and why he came. Uh, and many of us in this room recognize that he is the Messiah. He is God himself who came as fully God and fully man. He lived amongst us. He exampled life to us. And ultimately, he paid the penalty of death that was over each one of us so that we would not perish for eternity, but instead we would have a relationship with him for eternity. Many of us tonight believe that. And of course, in believing that, this doesn't mean that we fully understand all of that. We recognize it as reality and as truth, but at the same time, it is difficult for us at times to fully comprehend the magnitude and the significance of this. And then there are perhaps others of us, whether here or watching online, who are like that video uh, I mentioned. Uh, and just like if we were to walk around and ask people who they thought Jesus is, if we were to do that tonight or tomorrow throughout Denison or East End of Glasgow, we know we would get a whole mixture of, of different opinions about who Jesus is. And so perhaps tonight we are or we can be a bit like that as well. Our answer is one of many different ideas and understandings as to who Jesus is. But it's outside of this notion of who he claimed to be. It's outside of this idea of him being God. Um, your answer might, in fact, be what you personally believe at this particular moment in time. And it might even be the case that your answer changes around who Jesus is from time to, from time, to time, dependent upon where you're at within your own life. So that's another way in which we can respond to understanding who Jesus is. And finally, there are perhaps others of us who come into this subject, and if you're being honest tonight, the question of who Jesus is is not something you've spent a considerable amount of time thinking about. That being this question about who Jesus is to you is irrelevant, it's insignificant. It doesn't even enter the realm of importance for your heart and for your mind. Uh, so in light of all of these different possibilities in terms of how we can respond to this question of who Jesus is, I want us tonight to take stock of these words from C.S. Lewis. And Lewis underlines for every single one of us that there's no real middle ground when it comes to Jesus. We're either all in or all out when it comes to who he is, what he did, and why he, why he came. Lewis writes this, uh, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. All of which makes sense as we think about our passage tonight. Our passage is either infinitely important or of no importance at all. As Jesus asked Peter in verse 27, who do people say that I am? Jesus asked him this question and it's important we note that they collectively answer this question in the following verse, in verse 28. By presenting three options, the disciples believed that if people had understood Jesus to be one of the three individuals, so they say, Number one, John the Baptist. Number two, Elijah. Or number three, one of the prophets. This is how the people have understood who Jesus is in light of his life and his ministry and what he said. And all of this ties in with what we read later on in Mark's gospel in, in Mark uh, 6 and verses 12 to 16. Or earlier on, sorry, in Mark 6, 12 to 16. We hear this. So they, speaking of the disciples... Uh, went out and preached that people should repent. 
They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. King Herod heard about it because Jesus' name had become well known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he's Elijah. Still others said he's a prophet, like one of the prophets from long ago. When Herod heard of it, he said, John, the one I beheaded has been raised. So it's fascinating. The commentators would, would highlight, but when it comes to these three opinions as to who Jesus was, uh, one of them was cultural and the other two are religious. This notion that Jesus was John the Baptist, which was the understanding of Herod and many in his day, appeared to catch wind as Jesus became more and more prominent. And the fact that Herod now believed this would have, would have meant it was even more popular. It seemed to be the case that people believed that the spirit of John the Baptist was now on the life and ministry of Jesus. But the disciples also recognized that others had believed that Jesus was Elijah, not John the Baptist, but Elijah. And people's understanding of Jesus as Elijah would be rooted in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 11. Elijah was taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire in the midst of a whirlwind. Elijah did not die. So people believed that he had now returned and he had come in the form of Jesus. Finally, number three, others saw Jesus as one of the prophets. And most likely, this would have been taken from the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15 and 18, where Moses says this, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. So I hope we see tonight, whether it's Brighton or Bethlehem, there has always been a broad spectrum of opinion as to who Jesus was and is and why it is he came. But I also hope we see tonight that not all opinions about Jesus are equal. Uh, some are by definition nonsensical when we take time to think and reflect upon them. And we are in fact left with a very limited scope uh, as to who Jesus is. And again, let me just share some words from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. So again, Lewis writes this about this question of who Jesus is. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, speaking of Jesus. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sorts of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So tonight, as we think about Jesus, as we think about who he is, the three options that we have, we cannot escape them. The three questions we all need to ask in our lives are these. Was Jesus mad? Was Jesus bad? Or was Jesus who he really said he was? Was Jesus God? Was he mad? Was he bad? Or was he God?
We cannot say that he was exclusively some good person or good teacher because logically it's impossible. We cannot come to that conclusion based on what he did and what he said. He's either mad, he's either bad or God. So if you love Jesus today, I wonder what kind of conversational journey would you need to take for you to ask that question around who Jesus is with someone who doesn't yet know Jesus. So as you think about people in your own life who don't know Christ, what kind of journey would you need to take with them to bring them to a place where you eventually ask that question? Who is Jesus? I think for many of us, it often begins with a question about what it is we did during the weekend uh, or midweek. So you explain that you went to church. I hope you went to church. Uh, and with that explanation, you either get a complete shutdown in the conversation or a person then describing their own personal experience of church and their own opinion about church. That tends to be the kind of two avenues that people take when you say something like, I was at church at the weekend or I was at church midweek. You then move from talking about church to really emphasizing that the beating heart of why you go to church, it's not really about church ultimately, it's about, it's about who, it's about Jesus. The reason you go to church, the reason you're here is because this is Christ's bride. This is why you are here. You want to meet with Jesus through the people of God. And at that point, you're at a crossroads. You either say, you either let them say, well, that's good for you, but it's not for me. Or you intentionally and in love and proactively ask this question. You ask them, what do you think about Jesus? This is what Jesus has done for me in my own life. But what do you think about Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? You know, questions are so important when it comes to, to evangelism, particularly in our own context. The reality is you will get nowhere, nowhere when it comes to reaching people with the good news until you take time to hear what it is other people believe. You have to take time to listen, to receive what they think about Jesus and the Christian faith. And however they ask that question, that provides an incredible foundation. That provides a basis for how it is you can then respond to them. And you'll be amazed at how God then leads that conversation and uses that conversation in such a way that you're able to remove any obstacles that they have about a relationship with Jesus, about Christianity, about what it means to be a part of a local church. And by God's grace, hopefully they will eventually come to faith. I want to encourage us all tonight. I hope we see this morning, uh, tonight, that this is a, a very natural way for us to share Jesus with other people. It's not forced. It's very organic. God uses our own personalities to communicate the difference that Jesus has made to us in our lives. The more and more people get to know us, the more and more they'll see what's most important to us. And I hope as they see what is most important to us, they'll see Christ at work in us. And if Jesus really is important to us, the more and more opportunity you'll have to share by asking that simple question. What do you think about Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? As the Spirit leads, ask lovingly, ask well, and watch what God does. I mean, ultimately, it's not our responsibility to save someone. It's God's responsibility. We are open and willing vessels to be used by God, but ultimately, it's God who transforms hearts and minds. And this is happening. You might not be seeing it in your own life, but people are leading other people to faith in Christ. I hear about it all the time. Glasgow, Edinburgh, Dundee, Aberdeen, beyond in the States. 
God is using God's people to lead other people to Christ through intentional conversations and through good questions like who is Jesus. So I felt it important for us just to stop here for a moment and think about that subject as we think about our passage. Where are the places where you can have these kind of conversations? Who has God placed in your life where you can have intentional conversations and good questions? And who are the people that God has placed in your life within these particular locations? And how is it that you can lead your conversations with them to conversations about the person of Jesus? This isn't complicated. This should be pretty straightforward for us. I take James, my son, to his wee football club a couple of times a week. It's at Smithy, Smithy Croft Secondary School, which is just around the corner uh, from the church up in Ridry. So it's not far away at all from where we are in terms of planting. And as the kids get their training, the dads just sit together and chat. Uh, and I've explained what I do. I'm a pastor, and automatically that's a kind of extreme reaction to when I say I'm a pastor. I have a complete shutdown or curiosity. Um, but it's already opened up some incredible conversations with some of these dads. And what's interesting for me, as a more introverted person, it's given me an incredible appetite for more of these conversations. So I wouldn't necessarily say evangelism comes naturally to me, but I've got a real hunger for it right now. As I'm finding myself, God using my own personality to connect with these guys. I'm not trying to be someone. I'm not trying to be an evangelist. I'm just trying to be Mark Morris and God using me in the midst of that. The truth of the matter is it's actually natural and normal for us. If we are passionate about Jesus, then it should be natural for us to then share about him. If you've been impacted by a film, you've tasted a great dessert, you've been to an incredible place, you tell other people about us, you share of what you have experienced. And in the same way, if you have experienced Christ in your life, it should be the most natural thing to do that. And my hope and prayer tonight is that this passage and this message is instilling within us a huge confidence, not just in terms of the gospel that we have, but also our ability and Christ's power to share that gospel with those who don't know him. And we should certainly be confident for what it is we read next in our passage. We see the personal response from Peter to this question of who he is from Jesus. In verse 29, Mark writes this, but you, he, that's Jesus, asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. That's Peter's response. Now, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind. If Peter can say to Jesus, you are the Messiah, then you and I can say to Jesus, you are the Messiah. And the people in your life who are far from Christ, who have yet to come to experience Christ in their life, they can also get to that place where they also say, you are the Messiah. And I say that to you tonight because Peter was a pretty messed up individual. I mean, he, as we read the Gospels, we see he made mistake after mistake after mistake. But if God can work in his life, he can certainly work in your life. And there's no doubt in my mind, he can certainly work in other people's lives too, including those we're trying to reach. Peter says to Jesus, you are the Messiah. And what he's doing here is, is two things. First of all, he's speaking on behalf of the group. So Peter says, you are the Messiah, but he's representing the 12 disciples, as leader of the 12, or as a functional leader of the 12 at this particular point, irrespective of whether they all fully agree with him at this point, he says to him, you are the Messiah. And secondly, by saying to Jesus that he is a Messiah, 
He's saying that Jesus is a Christ. That is, he's the divinely anointed leader that the Old Testament scriptures spoke about. He was sent by God to give people freedom that they so longed and hoped for. This is what Peter means when he says, you are the Messiah. The only issue is, and it's quite a big issue, the people thought this would be political freedom, societal freedom from the oppression of the Roman Empire. What they failed to realize is that the Old Testament prophets were in fact pointing towards a Messiah as the one who would bring spiritual freedom, not political freedom. Spiritual freedom from sin and from death. Peter says these words to Jesus, you are the Messiah. And for us to understand why it is he says these words, we need to understand who he was before he said these words, um, who Peter was as he said these words, and who he was after he said these words. And in understanding Peter the man in this regard, before, during, and after, we can understand why we can have confidence in all that God is doing within our own lives. So this is just what we're going to follow, this pattern. Who Peter was before, during, and after he said these words, you are the Messiah. So let's look at the first one, before. Who was Peter before he said, you are the Messiah? And to understand this, we have to look at how as Peter <clears throat> and Jesus encountered each other. So we have to look together at the words in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 4 and verses 18 to 20, we read these words. Matthew says, as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now what you see from this passage is that Peter and his brother Simon were not remotely looking for the Messiah. These guys were just doing their thing. They were going about their life, doing the job they had always done. Peter was an ordinary man doing an ordinary job with a very ordinary life. And we struggle with this idea of why they suddenly just left their nets, just abandoned ship, literally, and followed Jesus. Like if someone was to walk into your work one day and say, come follow me, you would immediately just say, jog on. No chance I'm doing that. But this was no ordinary person calling Peter to follow him. This was God himself speaking to Peter. And more important than the external words that Peter spoke, that Jesus spoke to Peter, was the internal work that Jesus was doing in Peter's heart and mind at this particular moment. And it was this that caused Peter to immediately, immediately let go of his nets, get out of his boat, and dedicate his life to full-time ministry with Christ. And the reality is, if you're a follower of Jesus today, is this not your testimony as well? Can we not all identify with this passage as we take time to really think about it? For those who stand here tonight and say, Christ and I are one. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. We have a relationship together. Is it not the case that you also, at some point in your life, you weren't looking for him? He was looking for you, but you were not looking for him. And when he said to you in your life and in your circumstances, come, follow me, you could not help but respond to him. You had to respond and faith to him when you heard those words in your heart come follow me so is Peter's testimony not also your testimony can we not identify with these words we just read in Matthew's gospel do you not see the similarities between the two tonight between Peter's testimony and our own testimony if we have faith in Christ 
when you understand how it is that Peter met Jesus, it is in fact how it is that you and I met Jesus. Suddenly, Peter's testimony makes complete sense. The work of God in Peter's life, as Jesus said these words, and the work of God in our lives as we heard this call to follow him. It's good news. This is why we sing. We, we sing with joy. We give God thanks. We, we have these hopefully joyous times with church family. And we do so. Why? Because, because of what God's done in our lives. He's transformed us from the inside out. We once were blind, but now we see. Amen. So this is before, this is who Peter was before these words. You are the Messiah. So who was Peter as he said these words, you are the Messiah? Well, the first thing to note is that these words spoken by Peter were spoken because God was at work in his life. It wasn't that Peter just decided to, to conclude in his own heart and in his own mind that Jesus was the Messiah. No, God was at work in Peter's life. And we know that because of how it is that Jesus responds to Peter immediately after Peter says his words. So have a look at what we read in Matthew's account of a story. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 17. Jesus responds to Peter in this way. Jesus says, Peter has just said, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says to Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. So God was at work. Peter said these words and Jesus recognizes this is a work of God in your life that enabled you to say these words. Peter saying these words and God at work in Peter's life did not mean However, that Peter was fully there. God still had more work to do in Peter's life. So yes, God was at work in his life. But Peter still had a long way to go in terms of his own spiritual walk and journey. And we know this to be the case because of what we read in the next passage. Immediately after this account, Peter says in Matthew 8, in the next section, Matthew 8, verses 31 to 33, we read these words, Mark, Mark writes, Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. So Jesus, and what he said to Peter about Peter, went from blessed are you, Peter, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. He went from that statement to immediately afterwards, get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. So there's quite a contrast between the two. There's quite a leap. God is at work in your life, Peter. Get behind me, Satan. That tells us something about Peter. It tells us that he's on a journey. yes, God is at work in Peter's life. But also, yes, Peter still has a long way to go. God still has to do an even greater work in Peter's life. And we can take encouragement from this too, can we not? As you take time to reflect on these words from Peter. Because how often do we all, let's be honest, how often do we all find ourselves making progress in the Christian life? God is at work in some area. We experience some kind of victory in Jesus' name only for you to find yourself moments later completely falling apart in some way, completely and utterly messing up and having to repent of our sin. We can all testify to these moments and seasons of life. 
I think often in our lives, some of our weakest moments are the moments right after we've experienced some kind of spiritual breakthrough. Our guard is down. We're living off this success of what it is that's just went before. And the devil finds this opportune moment to attack us in some way. And we need to keep coming back to Jesus every single time. And this is one of the strengths of Peter, the man. He just kept coming back to Jesus. Even though he fled at one point, he kept coming back and coming back in repentance. He messed up. He confessed. Martin Luther said, the heart, the beating heart of a Christian life is repentance. Repentance. Just this consistent awareness of our own sin and confession of sin so that God would renew our hearts and fill us to overflowing. We see this so clearly in how Peter writes to the churches of his day. He underlined to them again and again, your hope is in the grace of God. So hope in the grace of God. And as you hope in the grace of God, learn to fight sin well. So we find this in 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16. It's just to kind of follow on from what Samuel looked at earlier. Verse 13, chapter 1 in 1 Peter. Peter says, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely, not partially, completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You know, I'll be honest with you tonight. I, I find that command, be holy because I am holy. It's quite a daunting <laughs> command when you think about it. But when you realize that in order to achieve that, our hope has to be fully reliant upon the grace of Jesus Christ, then it, it's a lot more understandable. We understand the way forward in a much clearer way. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is on his grace. Therefore, when we follow that pathway, we can experience the holiness of God in our life. Peter could say these words because he experienced spiritual faceplant after spiritual faceplant. And we can experience these words as well because yes, we are often like Peter, but in Christ we can be transformed and renewed by his grace. And this leads us on to the final point. As we think about the life of Peter and as it directly connects to these words of Peter, you are the Messiah. Who Peter was after he said, you are the Messiah. And this is something we, we spent time thinking about this at our men's gathering a couple of months back. We thought about the life of Peter and just how Peter responded in different ways to Jesus. Peter was someone who beyond these words, you are the Messiah, had a life characterized by doubt and denial. He was someone who was doubtful and he was someone who denied Christ. He doubted Jesus. Let's look at the first one. He doubted Jesus. Matthew 14 we read the story of the disciples and their boat being battered by the waves because of a storm. And early in the morning, Jesus came towards them. Jesus was walking in the sea. And the disciples were terrified by this. They thought it was a ghost. Right up until Jesus said to them, have courage, it's I. And Peter said to Jesus, if it is you, command me to come to you in the water. It's just characteristic of Peter. He's, he's bold as brass. He always wants to kind of do that extra thing to impress Jesus said to him, come. And Peter, as he looked around, walking in the sea and seeing the strength of the wave, he was afraid and he started to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus caught him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You of little faith, why did you doubt? 
And this is, again, as we think about this example, this is a picture of you and I. Let's be honest. We have to be honest in order to grow. This can often be a picture of you and I. We know Jesus. We have a relationship with Jesus. We have said in our hearts at some point in our lives or on many occasions in our lives, you are the Messiah. And yet, even after all of that, we still doubt Jesus. We still doubt him. We doubt his provision. We doubt his protection. We doubt his power to help us. When everything around us is sinking, we might cry out, Lord, save me, but often that is tainted with doubt. We don't actually believe that God is going to save us in the midst of our troubles and trials. And even in the midst of us crying out, Lord, save me. What grace God showed Peter and what grace God shows you and I. Even when Peter doubted Jesus and even when you and I doubt Jesus, he still reaches out his hand. He still grabs us by our hand and he still lifts us up so that we can be near to him in the midst of what we face. Peter didn't just doubt Jesus. He denied Jesus. And this account is found in John 18. Uh, Jesus is on trial before his crucifixion. Many of us know this story. Peter follows him to the high priest's courtyard. The servant girl asks Peter, are you not one of Jesus' disciples? Just think about this for a moment. Peter is intimidated by a servant girl. Peter says, I am not. Peter's lying. Some more people asked him, are you not one of his disciples? And Peter says, I am not. One of the high priest's servants asked him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? And Peter denied it again. So Peter has denied Jesus three times. And Jesus predicted that this was exactly what would happen to him. And it's only after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, when Jesus is with the disciples, that we see Jesus' response to Peter. In John chapter 21, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And what Jesus is doing in this moment is reversing Peter's denials through Peter's own words. It's quite incredible. Peter says three times, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And in doing this, Jesus wants Peter to understand, but not only does Jesus love Peter as well, but Jesus also has a purpose for Peter. In spite of all that he has done in terms of his doubt and in terms of his denial, Jesus both loves Peter and he also has a purpose for Peter. Jesus calls Peter three times, therefore, he says, feed my lambs. He says, shepherd my sheep. He says, feed my sheep. So Jesus is telling Peter, even though you denied me three times, Peter, I've not given up on you. Peter, I've still got a purpose for you. Despite all what's happened in the past, me and you are one. And we're going to work together to fulfill the Father's plan. And tonight, it does not matter what it is you think you might have done in your life that would cause you to, to have a hindered relationship with God or to even cause you to lose your relationship with God. Tonight you might think there's something you have done or are doing and you might view that as unforgivable in the eyes of God. Understand that the way Jesus was towards Peter is the way that he is towards each one of us. He doesn't just forgive us of our sin, incredibly transforms us and incredibly he gives us a renewed purpose life with him, life for him, life to live out the Great Commission for his glory and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is, this is good news. This is incredible news. 
This is the God we worship, the God of grace and the God who changes and transforms us. And I hope we see tonight that the grace of God covers all of that. The grace of God covers the entirety of our lives in terms of our past, in terms of our present, and in terms of our future. And in particular, the sin and mistakes that we make consistently day after day. This is who Jesus is. He's the one who enables us to say you are the Messiah for the very first time. But he's also the one who sustains us, who strengthens us, who forgives us, so that we can continue to say on a regular and consistent basis, Jesus, you are the Messiah. Jesus, you are my Messiah. You have changed me and you will continue to change me. You are my Lord and Savior. So tonight, we just want to invite an opportunity for response. So we're going to sing in a moment, but there's also opportunity to respond. Um, if you're watching online, perhaps you have yet uh, to come into a relationship with Christ. Uh, you know deep down that your life is not one that's characterized by following him. So our invitation tonight is to come to him today. He's calling you to follow him. He has a very clear purpose for you and his promise is freedom. Freedom in him and freedom from the sin and the worldly circumstances that can so often drag us down. So connect with us, speak with us. If you have yet to follow Christ, but you would like to follow him and make a decision for him and watch how God takes your life and uses your life for his glory and for your own good. Tonight, we also want to recognize that maybe for us here in this room or watching online, maybe we do follow Jesus, but maybe we're just in the midst of something that just feels overwhelming, something that we find difficult, something that we just do not understand. We need wisdom. We need prayer. You cannot see any way forward with what you're facing. You need God's strength and God's power. And, and this is why church exists. We, we gather together not to be nice Christians on a Sunday and then go about do our own thing for the rest of the week. We gather together. This is like a spiritual ER, a spiritual emergency room where we can assist and support and help one another so that we can then go into our week and serve and equip one another in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we gather together on Sundays and an important component of what we do is to pray for one another. So if you need prayer tonight in the midst of what you're facing, uh, we're going to sing, we're going to take a bread and a cup in a moment, but we're also going to have tea and coffee. And this time of fellowship afterwards, if you need prayer, then speak with myself or TJ or someone you know and trust who loves the Lord. And, and we, would, we would want to pray with you in the midst of what you're facing because growth does not happen unless we're honest with ourselves and honest with one another. So what would be the point in doing the whole church thing and not getting right with God through his bride, the church? And we also believe that, that God heals uh, today you may be unwell. Today you might have a pain or an ache of some kind. There may be something you would like prayer for in that regard. Our prayer would be that God, God heals in Jesus' name. We, we commit that to God. There's no promise or guarantee that God will heal, but we commit it to God and ask that he would do that. And so if that's you, if you need prayer for healing, the invitation is there to receive prayer uh, tonight. Uh, tonight we, we come to the table, as I've already said, and we recognize that Peter could say these words, you are the Messiah. And we tonight have said, and I hope we can say tonight as we come to the table, Christ, you are the Messiah. You are my Lord and Savior. It was on the night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. 
as often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. So as we take this bread and as we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. What a precious moment we have tonight to come to this table, to take this bread and to drink this cup. If we love the Lord today, we can do that as we respond and worship. So there's an invitation for us to respond in all of these ways. I do hope you have a, an incredible week with God at the centre. There's no guarantee our weeks are going to be easy. But the most important truth is that God is with us in whatever we face. And the blessing and in the hardship, God is with us. And we have one another to support each other in whatever we face. So that we become more and more like Christ. So let's pray together as we respond in these various ways. Father, we, we thank you for your word. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for the honesty of your word and the honesty of Peter. The example he is to us shows that, that your word is full of so many imperfect people and yet your grace is so much greater. And we just recognize that. We recognize that we are imperfect. We have and we do and we will fall short. But we know, Lord, that you are always there. You are always consistent. So would you just take this time to convict us of sin, to strengthen us, and may we have fresh confidence in you and your church to receive all that we need to receive in these moments as we respond in worship and as we come to the table and as we take the bread and drink the cup. May this be a precious time whereby your spirit, you strengthen us and you transform us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.